Good morning and Merry Christmas. It is great to be in, um, in worship with you today. And uh, so thank you for being a part of this church family today. You know, um, questions are catalysts, I believe, to change. That uh, life change actually begins with questions. Take, for instance, the Polaroid camera. I don't know if we have those still, but the Polaroid camera actually started with a beautiful question. On a sunny uh, winter's day in 1943, Edwin Land was taking pictures of his family while he was on vacation. And the question that his daughter asked actually focused the future for him. So he took the picture of her and she asked the question, how come I can't see the picture now? Because at that time you had to take the film to be developed, but she wanted to see it now. And five years after that question, he worked and worked and worked and he answered his daughter's question with the Polaroid instant camera. Did you know that the Olympics actually began with a beautiful question? The question was actually raised by um, uh, Baron Pierre de Coubertin of France. And he said, he's he's actually the founder of the uh, International Olympic Committee. And he asked the question in 1894... Might it be possible to reduce international warfare by countries competing on the court and the playing field instead of the battlefield? Now, now we know that the Olympics has not solved our international warfare kinds of tension, but it has created a sense of camaraderie, and it has uh, actually produced a level of a healthy competition. The intermittent wiper actually began with a beautiful question. In 1902, Mary Anderson from Alabama was visiting New York and she struggled to watch her streetcar driver try to see the road amidst the snow falling on the windshield. And so she wondered, I wondered if someone can come up with a device that would actually move the snow off the windshield. Mary Anderson was that person. Now, fast forward 60 years later, a dude by the name of Bob Kearns was dissatisfied with the windshield wiper blade or the windshield wipers going at one speed. And so he asked a question. He said, what if The wiper moved more like my eyelid blinking when it needed to and to wipe off the snow and the the rain. And in his basement, he came up with a device, three speeds, the intermittent blade. Now, the big three car factories, they stole the patent from him. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I forgot where I was. Like, like, they took it from him, and, but yet, it began with a beautiful question. 
I think, I think questions are important because they identify new opportunities for us. They actually identify fresh possibilities for us. Not only do they actually produce these, open the door for fresh and new possibilities, but I agree with Einstein said that curiosity is something holy. And we see this in the Christmas story. The interesting thing about the Christmas story that we're going to take a look at, uh, or at least there are three questions. Out of all the verses in the, uh, in the two birth narratives that are found in Luke and Matthew, there are only three questions. Three beautiful questions, three holy questions, and I believe three life-changing questions. The first question is the question that Zechariah asks. Zechariah, this is Luke chapter 1, verse 18, and this is what it says. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. So Zechariah was a priest in Jerusalem, and the father of this guy by the name of John the Baptist, who is Jesus's cousin, who would, uh, who would in a short time after this, prepare the way for people to receive Jesus's ministry. So he's burning incense in the temple. That's part of one of his duties as a priest. And as he's doing this, an angel appeared to him and said that him and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a son. Now, they had been praying for a son, but it's kind of interesting. I wonder if they actually believed that God would answer their prayers. Zechariah asked a beautiful question on the heels of the angel saying that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son. He asked the question, how can I be sure of this? Now, the question that he is asking is born out of unbelief and doubt. And the question is, can God do it? He questioned the canness of God. He questioned the ability of God. Can God do this? The one who created the moon and the stars and the one who created the world out of nothing, he is asking that God, can you do that? Can you work a miracle right now in my life? Can you give us a child? Now, the reason why he's asking that question And I think we would probably ask the question as well, because they are well up in age. They are well past childbearing years, and yet God says, I am going to give you a child. I am going to give you a child. In his mind, the birth of a son to two older individuals was impossible. You see, his eyes were the problem. His eyes were the problem. He saw the problem rather than God's promise. And they could not, him and his wife Elizabeth could not see that, uh, that God was bigger than their problem. I tried this the other day. It's like when the sun shines here in Michigan. I took a quarter. Did you know that a quarter can block the sun? All you have to do is hold the quarter up to your eye or quarters up to your eye, and it blocks the sun. The big, big sun, a small quarter, blocks it from view. And I think that's the same way it is, that our problems are kind of like quarters, and we put our problems and circumstances up to our eyes, blocking the power and the promise of God. 
And so Zechariah's question, it actually helps us to see that, that, that God can do the impossible. We look to the impossible, we look to the, the impossible versus the possible. And we say things like this, that God can't save a dying and joyless marriage. God can't heal a diseased body. God can't handle the most entrenched unbelief. That God can't love and forgive someone like me. That God can't handle the impossible. God can't take away my guilt and shame. Ironically, Zachariah's name means God remembers. And yet, the irony is not lost on me that, God, that Zechariah allowed his problem, his old age, to cause him to forget that God can do anything. Not only that, he forgot some of the birth stories of the Old Testament. All he had to do was think back and look back. He was well-versed in the Old Testament. All he, had to look back, all he had to do was look back and remember that Abraham was 100 and his wife Sarah was 90 and God allowed them to give birth to Isaac. All he had to do was remember Hannah's story. Hannah was barren, could not have children. She prayed to God, and God opened up her womb, and God blessed her with Samuel. All he had to do was look back and think back that God has done this before, and if God has done it before, he can do it again and again and again. God is not done working Christmas miracles. So the first question is, can God do the impossible? And I believe the, the answer is a resounding yes. Zechariah's question and the Christmas story reminds us that God did it once and he can do it again and again and again. If he fixed a marriage once, he can fix a marriage again and again. If he healed our bodies once, he can do it again and again and again. If he softened a hardened heart, that the God of the universe can do it again and again and again. And I think God is inviting us to believe that he can do it. Now, I don't know all the reasons why God doesn't work the miracle when we ask. But I do know Zachariah's question, it reminds us that God still can, and he invites us to trust him to do the impossible in our lives. Now, if we were to work the room right now, I believe there would be some people in this room and say, yes, I believe God can. He did it for me. And here is my public testimony and record that he can do it for you as well. So the first question, can God do it? And Zechariah, in fact, Zechariah actually didn't believe it. It is a question born out of doubt and unbelief, but it's still a beautiful question because he was honest before God. Now, God allowed him to go silent for uh, the duration of the pregnancy to show him that I, what I said, I will bring it to pass. And so sometimes God has to silence us so that we might reflect on his promises and his power so to bring us to a place of belief. 
But that's not, that's not all. That, that it, yes, it's that God can do the impossible. Beautiful question reminds us, Zechariah's question reminds us that God can do the impossible. But there's a second question that reminds us that, that not only does God do the impossible, he does the impossible in his time and in his way. And that's Mary's question. Mary's question is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? So for those of you who may not know, Mary is the mother of Jesus. Mary was a young woman, a virgin, never been with a man before, living in Nazareth, and a relative of of Elizabeth, the wife of the guy we just talked about, Zachariah. Mary is about probably about 13 years old at this point. And Mary is also visited by an angel and was told that you are going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. You are going to be the mother of the Messiah. And to that that statement, Mary says, how will this be? She asked the angel. Now, on the surface, it actually looks like it's the same question that Zechariah asked. But it's actually a different question. Zechariah's question is born out of doubt and unbelief that I wonder, can God do it? Mary's question is actually born out of curious faith. I believe that God is going to do it. I just want to know how. I just want to know how God is going to do it. That's really our own story, right? Many of us in this room, we believe that God can But we're just asking, how will he do it? And so Mary believed that it would happen. She just didn't know how it would happen. She believed the promise, but she did not understand the performance and the execution of the promise. Now, she believed that God could bypass normal and natural, the natural manner of birth if he chose. She was not questioning God's control over her life or her body. Nor was she demanding an explanation. She was just curious about how God is going to do it. The birth of Jesus is a miracle. And I think that some people find hard to believe. Hard to believe because virgins just simply don't have babies. Individuals who've never been with a man just don't have babies. And, and it was something that would have never been imagined until it happened. Others say that the virgin birth is, in Scripture is merely theological and not historical. But I believe that um, it, is, it is absolutely true. And it's true because of the guy who wrote this story, Luke. Luke is a medical doctor. And, and it would have been far better if, if Luke had not included this if, um, if, it, if he was making it up. But Luke actually reports these things to be true. He's a, listen, dude is a medical doctor, and he knew perfectly well how babies are made. It would have been just, it would have been, listen, it would have been hard for him to believe as well as a doctor, but he reported it as fact. Here's another reason why I believe it's true. He painstakingly researched the story. In fact, he researched the story. He interviewed Mary herself, and she told the story. She could have, been, she, she could have said, oh, that was a made-up thing, but she reported what was true 
And Luke is simply recording what is true. And lastly, we believe that God can work the impossible. If he created the world out of nothing, he most certainly can give us a virgin birth. So there's this sense where Mary asks a question. He asked, she asks a question, how is God going to do it? And the text says that God is going to do it in his way, in his time. The Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary, and the thing that will happen will be holy. So God do, does it the way he desires to do it. Our God does the impossible. Mary's question reminds us that God can do unique things in powerful ways. He she reminds us, her question reminds us that God entered in our world in the form of a baby to save us, to give us life, to give us peace. So you have Zachariah's question, opened up the door for belief. You have Mary's question to say, God, how are you going to do it? And then we have the wise men's question. And that's found in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. And I love this question. I love this question that Matthew poses, that the wise men pose in Luke 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 2. And this is what it says. And they ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. These men were... Um, not your, you know, you see the, the, the postcards and the Christmas cards with three individuals. These individuals were astrologers from the east, probably from the Persian area. They were called magi or they were called wise men. They were skilled in philosophy and they were skilled in medicine and they were skilled, they were skilled in natural science. These men were actually good and holy men. They were actually seeking for truth, like a lot of people in our world today seeking for truth. Listen, they, they made the final inquiry in the story, and they followed this star. We don't know, uh, we don't know exactly the, the process, but they had seen and heard the, the prophecies of old or the predictions of the coming Messiah. They had seen and heard about that. And somehow God allowed a natural radiance in the sky. And because they studied stars and because they were stargazers, they looked and they followed and followed and followed the star until it came to Jerusalem. And then once they got there, they asked the question, where is the one who has been born king? Now, this is kind of interesting because Herod was already king at the time. But what they're asking, they're asking, who is the one that is king from the beginning? Herod actually became king because he killed people and he did it illegitimately. But they were saying that Jesus, person they were looking for, was the one born king. And so they're looking and searching to get to know God. Their question actually helps us to understand how we get to know God. 
God reveals himself in the natural world. He reveals himself in creation. He reveals himself with stars. He reveals himself with the whistling of the wind through the trees. He reveals himself with the growing of the grass. He reveals himself with plants and animals. He reveals himself in the natural revelation that we see. When we go out and we look at the stars on a clear night, that's a sign that God is speaking, that God is saying something. But even in the natural revelation of God, he reveals, he further reveals himself in Scripture. Why? Because these men got to Jerusalem and they began asking, where is the one who is born king? So they, uh, the scribes and other people, showed them in Scripture where he was to be born. He was to be born in Bethlehem. So you have the natural revelation of God, the sun, the moon, and so on, confirmed with the word of God. And as it was confirmed with the word of God, they went and found the living word, the, the one who is called Christ. And they come to Jesus, and he's about two years old at this time, and they bow down and they worship him. They bow down and they give him gifts. And there are people in this room right now and those who are watching online, you're searching for God. You're asking the big questions about life. You're asking questions about how can I know this God? God says, I'll show you myself through the natural uh, order of things. I'll show you if you will let me, I'll show you in scripture. But the ultimate way that God shows himself is in the person of Jesus Christ. The one who was born of a virgin, the one who lived a sinless life, and the one who died, was buried, and rose again. That is the perfect revelation of God. So if you're searching for God, if you're searching for God, God reserves the right to show himself in all of those things. But his ultimate, his ultimate revelation is found in the person of Jesus. That's the reason we're here today. We're here to worship the one who is born king. We're here to worship the one who answers all the questions. Can God do it? Jesus answers, yes, he can. How is God going to do it? He's going to do it in his timing and in his way. Has God done it? Yes. And he's done it through his son, and he shows us how it's done. Now, I want you, I want you to listen to a story of a woman where God answered all the questions answered all her beautiful questions. Take a listen. So back in 2017, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And it was a terminal cancer and there was no hope for him to make it through that. So we spent a year, and they said three to five years, but we spent a year doing treatments and um, he kept getting sicker. When Joe was sick, and when we thought we had more time, um, I took a transfer in my position because where I was working was at Gardner, and it was a year-round position, and I had to work uh, summer breaks and Christmas breaks, and um, you didn't have just a few days off a year. 
and I wanted more time with them. So I took the transfer to an elementary school where I had just a school year position so that I was off on Christmas breaks, I was off on summer breaks, spring breaks. And um, three days after I made my transfer is when Joe passed. We'd been married 45 years and I was totally lost. Um, I spiraled down deep, the deepest I've ever been in my entire life. That was another part of my hopeless because now I had more time and I didn't know. I had never lived alone in my life. It was the first time I'd ever been alone and I felt very alone. I didn't feel like I had anything to look forward to. I didn't think there was any hope because all of my hopes and dreams were just dashed the day that I lost him. And I started thinking about committing suicide and taking my life because I didn't see any reason to be here anymore. Um, I taught myself out of it, and this is like several times, um, because I knew my children and my grandchildren would never understand why I would choose to take my life when God had chosen to take Joe's. But it come back over and over, more intense, more intense, um, until I was literally getting scared. It was about four months. Um, they were getting ready to open school, and I found out that they didn't know how to change locker combinations over at Gardner. And I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I guess I can help with that. So I said, I'll, I'll go over, I'll teach them. So I went um, after work and spent a few hours in the evenings, and we just had so much to do, we decided we were gonna do it on Saturday. So I go over on Saturday morning, and the parking lot is full. I mean, I could hardly find a place to park. And so I went in and I look at the principal and I'm like, what is this? And he said, isn't it wonderful? So I got busy and went up to where I'd left off upstairs and started working on lockers. And I'm listening to all these people as they're working and cleaning and painting and, and doing the things that they were doing to get the school ready. And I'm like, so where are you guys from? And they're like, well, we're not really doing this to promote our church. And I'm like, well, you don't understand. I'm looking, and this is my idea of what a church should be. So they told me that it was Trinity. And the next Sunday, I, I went, and I attended the service, and I got the bulletin. And in the bulletin, the next weekend was a widow's luncheon. And I decided, I had plans for that weekend, but I decided, no, I think I'll just, um, I'll go. I think I, I need to do that. And so I changed my plans out and I went to the luncheon and the table that I sat at, we were talking about, you know, when we lost our, our loved ones and, and they found out that I had just lost uh, mine and they're like, have you ever been to Grief Share? I'm like, I don't even know what it is. So they're like, oh, you have to meet Ingrid. So they, they bring Ingrid over, and she tells me a little about, about the program and when it's starting up again. And so I started attending Grief Share. And Grief Share is where my life started turning around. It's taken a while. It's been five years now. But now I have hope, and now I have a reason to live, and now. But 
But God came to me. I didn't go to him. I'd been in and out of church so much, I didn't feel worthy of asking God to help me now. But he put a group of people on a Saturday morning in a public school, which took me to a church that has a luncheon for widows one time a quarter the week before that luncheon was to occur, which led me to a grief share group, which has led me back to God. My name is Cheryl Hicks, and I am a very grateful child of God. I love what she said. God came to me. I didn't go to him. He came to me. And that is what Christmas is all about. God coming to us. In and through Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you are. As an individual here, you came today because someone invited you. We're grateful for that. Maybe you're not religious at all, but you are here because it's just the kind of thing to do on Christmas Eve. I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you. And just as Cheryl mentioned her story, she was spiraling out, and God met her right where she was. The, the story of, of, of where we are is that our world is broken. We can see it all around us. There's ache in us. We long for something different, and we long for something better. And the reason why that ache is there is because there was something better. There was something different. In the very beginning, God created the world, and when he created the world, he created Adam and Eve to have relationship with him. And I don't know, so I don't really believe in the, Adam, the whole Adam and Eve thing. And let's, 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 let's say that, um, let, let's, let's get beyond that right now. Just hear the story, that God created this man and this woman to be in relationship with him. And as he did, they decided that they wanted to live life on their own. And so they actually disobeyed him. And so everything that, um, uh, that God created, it was set on a course for sin and destruction because of their disobedience. God created the world for good, but it was damaged by evil and sin. And God says, I'm going to come to them. They're not coming to me. I'm going to come to them. So he sent Jesus in the form of the baby on Christmas. And that baby grew up and he lived a perfect life and he died a very, very horrible death. Why did he die? He died so that you and I, by believing and trusting in him, we could have a relationship with our heavenly father. And so I don't know where you are right now in your own journey uh, with God. If you're searching right now, today is a good day to say the search ends here. I'm receiving 
the love of God. I am turning from the way I'm living, and now I am going to follow Jesus. And Jesus invites you and me in this moment to trust him and to love him and to follow him. So if you've never, ever trusted Jesus as Savior, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to pray. And again, there's no power in, um, in the prayer itself that I'm praying. But it does do. It says, no, this is my heart, and I really do want to trust Jesus. So if you're here today and you say, look, listen, I'm not following Jesus. I, I have no clue what that means. Like Cheryl. I think God has you here today to hear the story all over again that he loves you and has an amazing plan for your life. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead us in prayer. If you are one of those individuals who say, hey, listen, I, today is my day where I trust Jesus as Savior and begin following him. I'll invite you to pray or, or to repeat after me as I pray. And if that's you, you can do it in your heart or you can do it aloud. Just simply, we, we want you to experience the joy, the peace that God has for us that he sent uh, in the person of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you did not wait for us to come to you. You came to us on that first Christmas morn. Came to us in the person of your son, Jesus. He lived perfect life and he died a horrible death. But he died so that we might have a relationship with you. And then he rose again so that we might actually have the power to live the life you died for. So, Father, there are friends in the room, there are people in the room and online who they've never, ever responded to the gospel, never surrendered their life to you. And, uh, and yet I believe you're in the room working right now. In fact, you've been working from the very beginning in their lives. You waste no pain. You, you have always been doing something in our lives to bring us to yourself. And so I pray right now even for them. And so if that's you, if, if you are one of those individuals who say, I, man, I want to begin a relationship with my heavenly father through Jesus, you can just simply repeat after me, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And right now I turn from the way I'm living my own agenda, and I turn toward you. I believe that Jesus did come, and he did die, and was raised again for me. And so today, by faith, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if, you, if you're one of those individuals, man, we want to help you to grow. We want to help you to know what it means to follow Jesus and love him and take your next step with him. Please let us know. Our prayer team and members, they're going to be down in front after the service. It would it, be great to let us know that that's the decision you made so that we might walk with you as well. And with this great news that we have, 
we are called not to keep it to ourselves. In fact, if you're one of those individuals who said yes to Jesus today, one of the first things I would love for you to do is tell somebody that you made a decision to follow Jesus because we've been given that charge to tell this uh, good news to everyone we meet. And um, there's an old song called Go Tell It on the Mountain, and that's what we're about to sing now because we've been given that responsibility to tell this good news everywhere we go. Thanks, Pastor Marvin. Would you stand with us as we sing this Go Tell It on the Mountain?
So good. Man, it's so good um, to just be here to celebrate because there's so much to celebrate. And we're not done yet. So you might want to grab your candle. And as we do this, um, yeah, just in this sacred, just a sacred moment, um, there's something beautiful about traditions. Um, and it just reminds us of how we can connect um, in different ways to the past of just being reminded uh, that we're part of a family, just even as Joseph is part of the line of David. Um, like, yeah, we're part of just this, this line. And so what we're going to do now is uh, we'll, we'll do this um, tradition here of candle lighting. And uh, just in a moment, um, our auditorium host will, will light the ends. Just, uh, just so we kind of have an idea of how this is going to work, really the goal is to not do two things. One is burn the place down. It's number one. Um, and then number two is to limit the amount of wax that gets on you and the people around you and the pews. Um, I guess you'd probably, you, you would be the first in line to get all the wax. So try to keep it off the pews and other people, I guess. Um, and the way that we'll do that is um, auditorium hosts will light the candles on the end. And once your candle's lit, just hold it upright. And those with unlit candles uh, will dip their candle into um, the flame of the lit candle. And then during this time, yeah, we're just going to enter in. Um, and just a prayerful time of singing Silent Night by Candlelight. And at the end, uh, once we're dismissed, there's receptacles that you can put um, the used candles back in. So go ahead, auditorium hosts. You can start lighting candles.
This is probably um, one of my favorite times of the year here at Trinity Church because we get a chance to see so many faces that represent stories. Stories of individuals who say that, man, God did the impossible in my life. Or that God is doing the impossible in my life. I had questions and God answered those questions. Or I had questions and I'm still sitting with those questions and God is meeting me in those questions. Everybody in this room, your story is important. And everybody in this room, you can, whatever your next step is, God is saying, take your next step. And some of you have done that this year. You've taken your next step. And man, we are, God is proud of you and we are proud of you. And yet God says, what's the next step? And so, man, we love you here. All the, on behalf of all the leaders, the elders, the deacons and staff and other volunteers, volunteer leaders here, we absolutely love you, Trinity Church. Whether you are, you know, you're here on a regular basis or you just simply call Trinity home, man, we love you. And we love what God is doing in your life. And we say keep stepping forward, taking the next step and the next step and the next step in your journey with Jesus Christ. And so on behalf of everyone, all the leaders here at Trinity Church, we say to you, we love you and Merry Christmas. Now, with very gent gentle wind, you may blow out your candle now. God bless you, friends. Have a great, great Christmas and, uh, and a happy new year.